Okay, we got the mic working, which is good because I'm not quite out as Josiah. Um, so we had actually prepared a video from some of our youth sharing about districts and the impact that it's had on their lives, um, but there were some issues. We weren't able to get that up. Maybe we'll show it later. But anyway, uh, the district's youth conference is one of the many great gatherings and trainings that uh, the Forest Lakes district puts on and i've actually been coming since i was in high school in 2006 i think um and really the thing that keeps me coming back and bringing students back is that it's a space set aside um, away from your regular routines and the things that distract us and it's a place for the kids to uh, wrestle with things that have eternal value and um, so they're constantly thinking about what am I going to do after I graduate, and, and who am I, and where do I fit in this world? And those are conversations and things that we talk about at districts, um, and there's thousands of kids there, and it's really cool, and I, I think it's a, a taste of what heaven might be like, um, worshiping with who knows how many other people, you know? Um, and so it's, it's a really special space. Anyway, uh, enough about that. Let me explain why I'm up here talking about it now. Um, we like to keep you updated, informed, and and in the loop so you know what our kids are doing. But also, we wanted to invite you guys to help sponsor some of our kids. Um, we have 15 of them signed up to go so far, um, and a couple of them have some friends they'd like to invite, but they know that uh, the $120 is kind of a, a wall that keeps them from signing up. So if you guys would like to help us out and uh, help sponsor a kid, that would be great. You can come talk to me or any of our other youth leaders, Aaron, Lewis, James, Alyssa, or um, who did I forget? I'm sorry, Liz. Um, she's working at camp for me right now. Um, yeah, so if you want to learn more, you can talk to one of them or talk to me. And I think that's it. And then we get Jim Gardner. I do nothing today. I got to have this. So, um, yeah, Jim Gardner, one of the elders here at, at the church. Um, we have a business meeting coming up November 6th, and our Constitution says major policy changes shall be read at no fewer than two consecutive congregational meetings. So I am reading the motions to the church this week and next week, and these are the three motions that we will be voting on on November 6th. Two are from the deacons. Number one says... This is a motion to approve the Washura Community Church 2023 proposed budget of $534,038.67 as presented. That will be a vote. The second motion from the deacons is a motion to make an internal transfer of $89,000 from the unreserved funds of the general fund to the building maintenance fund, a designated fund. Then one more motion from the elders a motion to go to a single Sunday morning worship gathering to be followed by a dedicated Sunday school hour for all ages starting Sunday, January 1st, 2023. That will also be a vote. Just a reminder, after the uh, second service, anybody that has questions, there's going to be an informational meeting with the elders uh, on that last motion. Uh, last time we can get together and have some discussion, questions, answers, We'll be here. I know that you're here for the first service, but, you know, you could stay twice and come to 1030. All right, that's it.
Thank you very much. A couple of other things as well. Uh, we have children's choir signups in the lobby right now. If your young people would like to be a part of that for the uh, Christmas season, I'm assuming. There's also going to be a Christmas choir and caroling sign-up in the lobby as well for um, for anyone that would like to be part of that. I think that also includes parents. And we already talked about the youth group districts um, and supporting that. And I think we are good if the ushers would come forward. Dear Lord, thank you for the day that you have blessed us with. This is the day the Lord has made. And the thank you for what I believe is a great direction our church is in, is headed in. And may we continue to grow in love and faith and service. And may we use all of our resources, both time and finances, wisely to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Actually, I, yeah, I didn't get my stretches in this morning, and so we just accomplished that. We are glad you're here this morning. I'm Pastor Adam Wolfgang, and we are back in 1 Peter chapter 4. If you didn't get a sheet and you'd like a sheet, this is, uh, this is probably really beneficial today because uh, there's a lot of review. In between each chapter, we stop and we do a standalone sermon about something um, that is pertaining to church health. And so that's what we did last week. And so now we're back into chapter 4 of 1 Peter. And um, I was telling someone I was uh, really leery um, preaching this message because, because there's a lot here to grasp. And sometimes I, I'm hoping and I'm praying, myself included, that I grasp what Peter is saying to his audience, the first century Gentile Christians who are being heavily persecuted, what he's saying to them. So up to this point, he has focused a lot on conduct, on our conduct. What is our conduct even when we're being reviled against? Um, and also then he's talked about our words, our words when we're reviled against, that we are to give a defense of the hope that is within us and doing it with gentleness and respect. So he's talked about those two areas, and you'll see a dot, 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 question mark, because he's going to add a third one today. He's going to add a third one today, and that's the one that I'm, I'm really concerned about, that we grasp what he's, what he's asking um, of the first century Gentile Christians, but also what is being asked of us as Christians. So a bit of review here as we walk through. The first thing is, in chapter 1, because they are being persecuted in times of distress, hostility, persecution, etc., the first thing that Peter does is he says, remember your salvation. In times like this, remember your salvation. This goes back to chapter 1, verse 2, where he says God planned it. God planned salvation, redemption, so that one day that you could stand before him. And when you stand before him, the theological term is glorification. That's the time of glorification. Then remember that Jesus purchased it. He purchased it on the cross. And in that purchase comes justification that we can stand before the Heavenly Father in the time of glorification. And then the third thing is that the Holy Spirit polishes it. He polishes our salvation. 
that in the time frame that we have now that we are still living, he is continuing to polish our salvation that we become more and more Christ-like. That's called sanctification, sanctification. Continuing in chapter 1, then he goes on to talk about how great this salvation is, and he uses the rest of the chapter just to say how great of salvation this is. It's so great. Here are some therefore commands. And so he gives four commands to them. And we noted that three of them are vertical. One of them is horizontal. The first one, set your hope fully on the grace brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ is the second coming. So he's saying, set your hope, set your vision on the world to come. What is to come? And so that's, that's vertical. And then he says, be holy in all your conduct, and we are holy in all our conduct because our God is holy. So again, that's vertical. We're looking to him as our example. Then the third one was conduct yourselves with fear. And that kind of fear is reverence, respect, awe of who? Of our God, of our God. And so that's vertical. It's this last one that goes horizontal. He says, love one another earnestly with a, from a pure heart. And that's the one he really zeroes in on. And he says, let's talk about this one a little more, about what does it mean to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So then we go into chapter 2. We go into chapter 2, and he, he has some of these switches that happen here. He says, we are to put away, we are to put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Those things you put away, you put something in its place. You, we long for the spiritual, pure spiritual milk of God's word. And so you see the transfer that's going on there. A little later in that chapter, in verse 11, it says, we are to abstain from the passions of the flesh. We're to, that we're to abstain from that. What do we put in its place? We are to keep our conduct honorable among the Gentiles. So we abstain, but we, we put in its place this honorable conduct in front of the Gentiles. Then he goes into a subject, a situation where he says, we are to be subject to. And he gives us five different things. You can narrow them down that he wants us to be subject to our, the civil government or the community, the community. And then he talks about family relationships between husband and wife. And then he also covers one more. And that one, I have to look back on my sheet here. That one is about work, our work situation or our, our relationship with work. And so he says we are to be subject to in those situations. But the last line, we are for the Lord's sake to do this. So it's because of our relationship with the Lord that we we follow these instructions that are given to us, meaning that our relationship with the Lord is over everything, over every one of those areas that, that Peter speaks to. He says the reason that you're doing this is because you have a relationship with the Lord. That's why you are responding in this way, in this way. Chapter 3, I talked about the mandates, and this mandate list is growing. The first mandate we came across is that you are to proclaim, does anybody know? The excellencies of him who brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You sang that song. Aaron's kind of made that a theme song throughout here. It comes right from that scripture passage. We are to proclaim, proclaim 
the excellencies of him who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are to speak of that. We're to speak of that. Second one, so that you might follow, does anybody know? In his steps, in his steps, that we are to follow in the steps of Jesus, his ways and his words. The third one, but to the contrary being reviled against, how are we to respond to others? If I know the word, it starts with a B. We are to bless them, bless them. As they revile us, we return with something. We return with something that keeps our focus on them as an individual. They are an individual created by God. And, and they're an individual that we want to be able to proclaim the excellencies of him who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then the last one, always be prepared to what? Give a defense of the hope that is within you. Give a defense of the hope that was within you. So we end with this in chapter 3, and it's, it's that the one that all things are subject to. So the one, Jesus, that all things are subject to, because that chapter ends with uh, angels, authorities, and powers have been subjected to him. All things subject to him will bring his own will bring his own, those caused to be born again to bear fruit. That takes us all the way back to chapter 1, verse 3. He will bring his own safely to God. He will do that through his suffering unto death, through Jesus' suffering unto death. His resurrection bears witness that we will not experience the final wrath or judgment of God. The final wrath or judgment of God. So, we are brought safely through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just as Noah and, and his sons and their wives were brought safely through the water, away from the destruction that was to come, the wrath of God that was given on the earth at that time, so we too, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, will be brought safely to God. No matter what the situation is, you will be brought safely to God, safely to God. Now, I say all of that, I, you know, I keep going in review again over those things because I want us as a body of believers that when we get done with First Peter, sometime the end of January, okay, I think that's when it's going to work out, that you will have some of these benchmarks, some of these things that you will be able to hold on to and remember and go back to that you learned from God's word during our time in First Peter. In First Peter. So now, we go into chapter 4, chapter 4. And I, I've done this a little bit differently this morning. I've, I've put the whole verse up on the screen here. Also on your sheet, if you don't have a scripture journal, on the back side of the sheet is, is the scriptures that are printed right out. I did that because you might want to jot some things down as we systematically walk through these verses, these six verses. But let me pray. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Um, Lord, as Peter speaks to this group of Christians, help us to make the application to our own lives, Lord. For Peter is instructing them in a way that is might seem really extreme, um, but, but it's all for your glory. And so we ask for your Holy Spirit to guide us through these verses this day. In thy precious name, amen. So let me set it up with this before I read that first verse. 
So he's writing to first century Gentile Christians who are being heavily persecuted. Not, and, and they're not all Gentile Christians. There's Jewish Christians, too, that are being persecuted also during this time. But this is who he's generally uh, writing to. How are they being persecuted? Uh, there are some that are being put into the, to the lions. There are some that are being hung on crosses, just as Jesus was hung on crosses. There are some that are being burned at the stake. There are some that are being put on a rack and pulled in different directions. They're trying to make them say Caesar is Lord rather than Jesus is Lord. So that's what's happening to some of these Christians during that time. As he's writing to these first century Gentile Christians who are being persecuted, he's writing to the living ones. Okay? The living ones. And most likely, there are some of the living ones who have had friends that are no longer with them anymore. And they're no longer with them anymore because of this persecution. And so he's speaking to this group that is looking um, at death straight in their face because they've seen others who believe the same thing they believe and have held on to that. And they've seen the result of what's happened to them And Peter is still speaking to the living ones right now. Okay, so he starts off in verse 4. He says, since, therefore, Christ. And you could put a squiggly line under that. He wants us again to look at Christ, to look at Christ as a supreme example to follow. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh. You can put put a box around that or something. What does he mean by suffered in the flesh? Well, all we have to do is go back into the, the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that, we might, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. So when he uses that term, suffered in the flesh, he's talking about the cross. He's talking about Jesus died. Okay, Jesus, therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. He died on a, on a cross. Another one to look at that is... Um, Chapter 2 and verse 24, when he says he, meaning Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree. That's crucifixion. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So when he's speaking about this, since therefore Christ, our supreme example, suffered in the flesh, died on the cross. Then he says arm. You can circle that word, arm. It means that there is an enemy. There is opposition that's coming up. And therefore, this arm is something that you need to you do need to aggressively look at. Arm yourselves in the same way of thinking. That word for arm there it could be the same as you know, put on the full armor of God. That, why do you put on the full armor of God? Because there's an enemy that is warring against God. And we are children of God, and therefore we need to put on the full armor. Of God, So that's what he means by arm. Arm yourselves in the same way of thinking. But whose same way of thinking? Well, the same way of thinking of the man who died on the cross, of Jesus who died on the cross. So back to chapter 2, verse 21, we see how Jesus was thinking and acting. It says, for, for to this you have been called, because, Jesus all, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, here's our mandate, so that you may follow in his steps. He committed no sin. 
So there's the first thing that Jesus did. He committed no sin. Of course, he was the perfect one. We are imperfect. But the same way of thinking is, should we want to sin? No. Doesn't mean that we won't sin. But we should have the attitude, we should have the thinking that we do not want to sin. We do not want to sin. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. So here's Jesus' action, that what was coming out of his mouth was not deceit. What's that for us is that we should not want deceit coming out of our mouths. We should not want to use our words in a way to injure other people. We should not want to do that. No deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. This is Jesus thinking. This is Jesus acting. When they reviled against him, he did not do the same thing in return. Next one. He did not threaten. Uh, when he suffered, he did not threaten. He didn't threaten. Now, he could have. You know, there's another song. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world, right? But he didn't. He didn't. When he was threatened, he did not respond in that way. It, when he was suffering, he did not threaten back to them. And lastly, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus' thinking was, Jesus' actions were, is that when all that stuff was going on, he was continually trusting himself, entrusting himself, to the will of the Father. That the will of the Father is that he would be sacrificed for the sins. And he continued to entrust himself in that. So when you go back through this and say that, I'm to arm myself with the same way of thinking that Jesus had so that I don't want to sin. And if I do sin, what do I do with that sin? Well, he tells us exactly what to do with that sin. We need to confess that sin. We need to ask for forgiveness of that sin. That's what we do. Well, I, I don't want to have deceit come out of my mouth. I want to say those things that are truthful and honorable and, and lovely and, and those things that build up others. That's what I want to do. I don't want to revile in return. If I'm being reviled against, I, I don't. if there's mud being thrown at me, I, I, no throwing mud back, okay? No throwing mud back. If I'm suffering and being threatened, I don't threaten in return. All this time, I can do this because I'm entrusting myself into the one who has authority over everything. And it was said that those who have a relationship with him will be brought safely to the other side. Safely to the other side. For Now, now we keep going in here. For whoever has, so that's past tense, for whoever has suffered in the flesh. Notice that's the same phrase again. Put a box around it. So in the first line, suffered in the flesh meant Jesus what? Died on the cross, died on the cross. On the third line, for whoever has suffered in the flesh, who's he talking about? He's talking about their friends who have what? Died. Their friends who have died because they have held on to their relationship with Jesus Christ. They are, they are now dead. He, then he says, has ceased from sin, has ceased from sin. That's what happens when a Christian dies. You've, you've ceased from sin. You are not in this sinful world any longer, any longer. Yeah, you can say amen there. Yeah, so I, you know how we'd like to do Peter and Paul. So let me read 2 Corinthians, and you can jot this one down somewhere. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 6, Paul says, Therefore we are always confident, we're confident of this, and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. As long as we are home here physically, we are away from his presence. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, he says it twice, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. My, my preference would be is that I would not be in this physical world anymore, but I would be face to face with my father. I'd be in his presence. Verse nine. So we make it our goal to please him, please God, whether we are at home in the body. That's option number one. We are at home in the body or away from it. So if we're away from it, where are we? We're, well, we're dead, but we're with the who? We're with the Lord, with the Lord. So he's speaking to the ones that are left about the ones that have gone and, and the, the way that they, they went. Okay, they went being faithful unto God to the end. Okay, and he's saying to them, they've ceased from sin. They're, they're with the Lord. They're with the Lord. Now, next verse, he turns and says, okay, let's talk to you, the ones that are living. He says, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh. So now he's not talking about the dead anymore. He's talking about the living. He says, because you're still alive and you have the rest of time in the flesh. How are you to live the rest of the time in the flesh that you have? And in that environment at that time, it could be maybe a week, a day. It could, you know, it could be very, very soon that life could very well change for them. How do you live the rest of your time in the flesh? And he continues to tell them not to run away, not to hide under a rock, not to, not to, not to do anything like that. He says, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. He says, whatever time you got left, whatever time you got left, you need to switch and go from following human passions to the will of God. That's why you're here. Even if it's a short amount of time that you've got left, I still want you to put away human passions and go for the will of God. Now, if you're counting, this is like the third time that he's, he's done this in this book. Verse 3, for the time that is past suffices. Okay, the time of past has suffices. Suffices mean it was enough. It was enough. Well, what was enough? For doing what the Gentiles want to do. Gentiles there just a term to say those who are unbelievers. And the actions of the unbelievers, he says, the time that you spent in that lifestyle is enough. Now, this really makes me think, okay? Because some of you, like me, we came to faith in Christ really early, early age. I was like 11 years old. And I, and I, I, I said, I surrender to Jesus Christ because he surrendered his life for me, kind of thing. And I, and at 11 years old, and Peter would come up to me, if he could, Peter, and said, that was enough. That was enough sinful behavior direction that you were going for you, Adam. It makes me really shake because I'm like, well, man, if that was enough for me at 11, what would I have been like now? But he says, that's enough. What is enough? He gives a list. Living in sensuality, passions, and drunkenness. I stopped there because 
Those three things are more inside stuff, okay? Sensuality, where does it start? It starts within here. It starts within here. Well, passions, where's that start? It starts within us. Drunkenness, where's that start? Well, that starts with you, yourself. So those things are kind of like individual kind of things. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. The next two, orgies and drinking parties. What has happened now? You have sought out who? Others. Others now. This sin that was within you that you allowed to linger there and to grow, what does it do? It looks for like-minded people. And now you're with other people who do these same things that you're doing, and, and you don't feel as much guilt about it because, you know, we're together and we're just, you know, it's a big party kind of thing. But it pulls in others. And then this third one, this last one, and lawless idolatry. Now, why do we have law? We have law because we're a community. And in a community, we need law. And we need to be self-governed by to, uh, ourselves to the law. But he's saying, you've gotten to the point where you're lawless idolatry. You think you are above the law with this idol that you have created. I, I point those out because I want you to see the progression of sin there, right? That if you have sin in your life, in your life, and you don't take care of it the way that God says to take care of it, because he says, you know, there, we are to take care of sin. If we don't take care of it, guess what? It doesn't just stay within us, does it? No, at some point, it's going gonna, it's gonna to venture out to others. And if it's not taken care of, where is it going to go? It's going to venture out, and it's going to hit a whole community. So he's saying, it's time's enough. You've had enough time following that. Verse 4. With respect to this, meaning that kind of a life, with respect to this, they are surprised. The they are the ones who are participating in that activity. They are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. So because you are not walking that path anymore, it's interesting that they are surprised that you don't join them. We do live in that world, you know, right? People are starting to be surprised that you don't go along with what the world is going along with because you're still holding on to the words that are in your hands right now. You're still holding on to that this is the word of God. And this word of God says this, and therefore I'm holding on to it, and others in the world are surprised that you are not joining them. You are not joining them. Now, it's before I get to that last phrase there, it's interesting. He says they are surprised. But if you go to verse 12 of chapter 4, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So Peter is saying they are surprised, but you don't be surprised. You don't be surprised at the action that's going to come towards you. They're surprised that you're not joining in. In the same flood of debauchery, I think this is kind of interesting because last in chapter 3, what was the human illustration that Peter used in the end of chapter 3? Do you remember? Who was the character? Noah. And the what? Flood. The flood. Yeah, that's the, that's the illustration he used from Genesis uh, to get his point across. And now he says, 
don't be, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, of this desolate life. So I thought of that, and I thought, well, that's a kind of a play on words. If you go back to Genesis chapter 5, Genesis chapter 6, sorry about that, verse 5, um, it's described what the world was like then. It says, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. All the time. There was a flood of evil. And that flood of evil was responded to by God by a what? Flood. A flood. Don't be surprised when they, same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. Because you do not join along. That word for malign, um, it means uh, speak against, rail against, revile, blaspheme. He says, don't be surprised. Now, they're surprised that you haven't joined in, but you don't be surprised by their action to you not joining in. Don't be surprised by that when they malign you. Verse 5, but, every time but's in the Bible, I just circle it because it's like, whoo, okay, new thought. But they will give an account to him. They who? The ones that are living that lifestyle are living in sin. They will give an account to him. To who? God, who is ready to judge. And we know from the scriptures that Peter gives us, he judges justly. He judges justly. And, and there's some scary parts in this verse. You're given account to him who is ready to judge. What's that ready mean? It means he's ready. I mean, it could be any moment. It could be any time. Because he's ready. He is absolutely ready. That for us, that for us should help us to realize how important the message is that you have in the gospel. How important it is. Because he is ready. And that last line, to judge the living and the dead. The living and the dead. So what you're saying is just because you died, will you escape this judgment? No. There's no one that's going to escape this judgment that he is ready to give. No one. That's, that's a verse that, that I think Peter is threw in there really to help these first century Gentile Christians who are being heavily persecuted, who have lost some of their friends to this persecution to say for the rest of the time that you are here, the message of the gospel is so important because he is ready and he will judge. And I thought, well, here we better go back to Peter again, or Paul. And if we go to 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Sometimes I do this because I want you to see it's just not in... Um, one part of the Bible or just one verse in the Bible. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting at verse 6, Paul says this, God is just. And we've heard that before, right? God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not follow God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with an everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. 
on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled among all those who who have believed. This includes you. I love that line. Paul says to the Thessalonians, he says, this includes you. The ones that when he comes again, you are, you are on the other side of this. You are, you are joyful at his return. This includes you because you believe our testimony to you. You believe the gospel. So this is a, a tremendous verse for us because we have the rest of our days, okay? Right? We're still here. We're still here. What do we do with the rest of our days? We need to preach this gospel. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. Now, this is a little tricky verse. could be looked at a couple different ways. But for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. How did he start the section out? He was talking about those who had died under persecution because they're followers of Jesus Christ. That the gospel was preached to them who, who, who continued faithfully to the end. Even those those who are dead, I, I go that way because of that next line, that though judged in the flesh the way people are. They were judged in the flesh the way people are. They were maligned. They were maligned to a cross. They were maligned to a, 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 a lions. They were maligned in some way, shape, or form. But now here where it turns, and I think Peter's always doing this in his book, that they might live in the spirit the way God does. I think that they there, now he's pointing back to the ones who are not believing. Because they already, the ones who died being persecuted, they are already with him. They are already living as God does. But that they might live in the spirit. That they might. Who is the might? The ones who are yet not saved. Now let me just, that's a big thing to throw out there, but let me just show you why? Second Peter or Peter, first Peter chapter two, verse twelve. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So what's the result? Hopefully the result of your good deeds is that they would glorify God on the day of visitation. If I go to chapter uh, verse fifteen, verse fifteen, same chapter where it says, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. What's the goal of that? Is that they would be silenced. The foolish people would be silenced. And they would stop in their tracks. Why? That, that wait a minute, something's registering here. If we go to uh, chapter 3, verse 1, when he's talking to the wives who have husbands who have, are, are not yet believers, he says, that they may be one without a word. What's, what's, the, what's the goal? Is that they would become believers. If you go to verse 7, when the husbands are talking, he's talking to the husbands about the wives, and when he says, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. What's the goal of there? The goal is that they would be heirs with you of the grace of life. Grace of life. If we go to verse 16 of chapter 3, where he says, um, about making the defense, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Remember when we talked about that shame, it's not shame that's coming from you. 
It's a shame that's coming from above. And why do we want that shame to come from above? Because if they're shamed from above, they might be silenced, and they might be silenced, and they might what? Turn to Jesus Christ and be saved. Saved. I mean, this is what his whole heartbeat is, is that there might be some, even in this little sliver of life that you got left, because you've seen a bunch of your friends go to the cross or to the lion's den, this little sliver of life you got left, keep talking about Jesus. I think I had one more now. Well, verse 20, verse 20. And that whole idea that Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. And he was proclaiming righteousness for 120 years so that they might what? Come to God. Come to God. So let me end it this way. Um, God uses and utilizes our holy conduct. We've seen that in this book of 1 Peter, our good deeds. He says it over and over and over and over again. God uses and utilizes our holy conversation. He says when you have an opportunity, when they ask, give a defense of the hope that is within you. Do it with gentleness and respect. But, but he uses our holy words. And then the third one, now I had to put a W there, but holy commitment. Now, this is the part that's hard to grasp. He says, I need you to be wholly committed to me. I want you to have a good death. What? Yeah. I want you to have a good death as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, let me take you to um, Stephen. Stephen in the book of Acts. At one point, he must not have been a follower of Jesus Christ, but he must have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and, and he was born again. He, and he must have gotten training because when we get to Acts chapter 6, there's a dilemma in the church where there's um, some, some of the widows are not being fed and there's prejudice going on. And they say, the elders, the apostles say, find us seven guys. And Stephen's name is on top of the list. And, and they're, it, they're to be of, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom and everything. So, so Stephen, when he came to faith in Christ, must have been discipled and he must have grown up to this point in his maturity that the, all the people would point right to Stephen and say, put Stephen's name on the top of the list. And so he put Stephen's name on the top of the list. After he does that, after he does that, then he, so that's good conduct. That's good conduct. Then in chapter seven, he has an opportunity to speak. And he speaks before all of the Jewish council. And when he speaks before the Jewish council, he just points them to Jesus Christ. Points them to Jesus Christ. What's the result of that? Oh, they. They malign him. They take him out uh, of the city. They put him where they stone people. And what is he doing even in his death? If you know this, Stephen was speaking the words of Jesus. He's saying the same type of words that Jesus said when Jesus was being nailed to the cross. Okay, that's a good death. That's a good death. And so they stone him. But, but the beautiful part of this story is that while they're stoning him, you take off your outer cloak. Why do you take off your outer cloak? So you got more freedom of movement so you can throw the stones. So they take off these outer cloaks, and where do they put them? They put them at the feet of a guy named Saul. And Saul at that time was a persecutor of Christians. And that persecutor of Christians watched a good death. He watched a good death 
of one who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, even unto death. And you know what happened on the Damascus Road, right? And Saul became Paul, or more known as Paul. And now Paul, his life would end which way? He would, he would follow the same example that Stephen had. Faithful to the very end. Now, I think I got one last slide in. And worship team, come on up. I want you to, this is just kind of looking at life here. We are physically alive. We are physically alive, but we are spiritually dead. Okay, That's, that describes all of us at one point. Physically alive, but spiritually dead. But for some of us, comes in the cross, comes the gospel, comes this moment when we, when we realize that God planned it, Jesus purchased it, the Holy Spirit is polishing it, that he surrendered all. And now I have surrendered my life to him. Okay? The cross. At that moment, now you are spiritually alive and physically alive at the same time. Spiritually alive and physically alive at the same time. You have the rest of your time left over here. But at some point, what's going to happen? You're going to become physically dead. You're going to die. But what are you still spiritually alive? You are spiritually alive. Now, I put that line in between there. So you're physically alive, but spiritually dead. But what if there's no cross? What if there's no gospel? At some point, you're going to become physically dead, and you are what? You're still spiritually dead. Do you see why it is so important that we speak the gospel of Jesus Christ? so important. For the rest of the time that you have, whatever that time frame is, the rest of the time that you have, and it just magnifies it that some of these people he's talking to, it might be next week, you know, kind of thing. They're a very hostile environment. You see, even that little bit of time that you still have, and you're kind of probably mourning over the ones that you've lost, to say, keep sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, it, it's, it's the difference. It's a total difference. So let's stand in prayer. And then we'll sing our final song. So Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for um, your words. They are powerful. Help us to, to, to see that all of our lives, all of our life is to honor you. From our conduct, our good deeds that come because we have been saved, that we have been, we have been transformed by you, and therefore we do these things out of honor of who you are. That you use our conversation, and we do pray for those, those opportunities when, when they do ask, what is this hope that is within you? And that we are to be able to point them to Christ, and Lord, that we would even try to grasp this morning, even our death that our death would bring glory to you, would bring glory to who you are. So God, I pray that you will be with us this week to realize the opportunities that you're going to put in front of us to be able to fill in that line that's so needed in people's lives if they are spiritually dead, that line about Jesus Christ. 
and help us not to be surprised if they malign us. <laughs> help us not to be surprised. But may they be very surprised that we don't follow along with their way of life. So your hand upon us, Lord. We are humbled this morning by your word. In thy precious name, amen. Amen. Let's sing this song to the Lord. As we close our worship service this morning, I'm going to leave us with... Uh a message from Paul in Romans, Romans 6, verse 11. You must do the same thing. Think of yourselves as dead to the power of sin. But now you have new life because of Jesus Christ, our Lord. You are living this new life for God. As we walk out of the sanctuary of our safe place, out into the world, that is our challenge. Let's live our whatever we have left of this life for God. God bless.